Testicular cancer has received significant media attention in recent years, thanks in part to the very public cancer battle of cyclist Lance Armstrong. From the perspective of one of his physicians, how does it feel to see him succeed on so many levels? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment focused on men's health. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and our guest is Dr. Craig Nichols, Medical Director of Lymphoma and Testicular Cancer Research Program at the Robert W. France Cancer Research Center at Providence Portland Medical Center in Portland, Oregon. An internationally respected expert on testicular cancer, Dr. Nichols is also the secretary and a member of the board of directors for the Lance Armstrong Foundation. Welcome, Dr. Nichols. My pleasure. We are discussing the Lance Armstrong Foundation and its support for people affected by testicular cancer. I understand that you were one of Lance Armstrong's primary oncologists during his battle with testicular cancer. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, Lance was, I think, 25 at the time in 1996 when he had basically ignored a swollen testis for several months. It was the 96 Olympics, and I assume he thought he was riding too much or whatever. And then in the early fall, he began feeling tired and less fit. And then in early October, began coughing up blood. That finally prompted his stubborn noggin into seeking medical evaluations. He had a chest x-ray that showed multiple pulmonary nodules. He was examined, found to have a enlarged testis uh, that was removed. His HCG was almost 100,000, and at that point, it was clear that he had widely disseminated testicular cancer. At that point, he was seen locally in Austin, Texas, was begun on chemotherapy, and immediately began experiencing headaches, which prompted a brain MRI when he was found to have brain metastases. Again, this shook him up substantially, and he decided that he wanted to seek the highest kind of level of experience that he could, and he was seen at various centers, and ultimately, I saw him when I was at Indiana University. Now, he certainly had a great hill to climb in terms of going through surgery and all the therapy he did, but what he has done since in terms of winning so many events, how can you explain that? I mean, just going through what he did, is it perseverance, is his physical fitness, is his attitude? How would you explain that? It's almost certainly a combination of all those things plus several other things that you didn't mention. I think probably the primary aspect of his care that goes somewhat unnoticed is that when he came to me, we were able to advantage him with the benefit of very recent and actually unpublished clinical research that redesigned his therapy away from a drug that would likely cause sufficient pulmonary damage that he would never ride again, or at least competitively, to a combination that was equally effective but did not have the pulmonary toxicity. It had other toxicities in excess of the other combination. But I had just reviewed and was in the process of writing up that clinical trial when he came, and so I was able to, with confidence, to suggest a change in his therapy that ultimately preserved his lung function and allowed him to continue his athletic career. 
So he was going to go on a regimen of bleomycin or a medication like that? He had actually gotten his first cycle in Austin with a bleomycin-containing regimen. And had that continued, I think there's little question he would have been a competitive cyclist. Now, the uh, chemotherapeutic regimen that, that you placed him on, that was experimental at the time? It did not have experimental agents. The combination had not yet been proven to be equal to uh, the standard bleomycin-containing. And he was amenable to this? Oh, he was very amenable to this. I mean, as long as I assured him that this did not diminish his chances of being cured, which I, because I, I had the results of the clinical trial, could say with confidence, yes, this was at least equivalent. And then the additional chance to perhaps spare his athletic career, as you might imagine, he kind of jumped at that. And how do you feel personally as his physician to see what he has done, not just in terms of succeeding as an athlete, but as an incredible ambassador for testicular cancer care and cancer awareness in general? I think that that is unbelievably gratifying for a number of reasons. Number one, it's always great, and we do this very frequently, is to return young men to a full and productive life after cancer to see that happen to him or anyone, whether you're a you know, school teacher or a truck driver or a world champion cyclist, is very gratifying. So certainly on that front, it was very, very satisfying for me personally and I think for oncology in general. But uh, I think another thing that went on that really highlights what sort of person he is and what sort of drive and will he has is that soon after it became apparent to me, I don't think it was entirely apparent to him at that time, that he was going to be cured, I talked to him and said I felt it likely that he was going to be cured and that he had a special obligation of the cured in that he needs to make sure that he returns kind of the favor, if you will. And I've had that talk with a number of either celebrities or wealthy folks who've had this disease and more often than not they say, you know, thanks but no thanks or, yeah, I'll do something but ultimately their interest fades. But he said he was going to do something, and he did it much better than I ever expected and has, I believe, made part of his legacy bigger and stronger than his you know, seven Tour de France victories. And he has elevated the game cancer politics, uh, survivorship, and awareness. And for that, I'm very grateful. If you have just joined us, you are listening to a special segment, Focus on Men's Health, on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and with me today is Dr. Craig Nichols, Medical Director of the Lymphoma and Testicular Cancer Research at Providence Portland Medical Center in Portland, Oregon. Dr. Nichols is also the Secretary and Member of the Board of Directors for the Lance Armstrong Foundation. We are discussing the Lance Armstrong Foundation and its support for people affected by cancer. Dr. Nichols, tell us about the Lance Armstrong Foundation. The Lance Armstrong Foundation began fairly soon after his diagnosis, and, and frankly, it began as a bit of a mom-and-pop operation with local Austin folks who really didn't have a lot of foundation or philanthropic experience. And as his athletic success continued and the support of very big supporters such as Nike with the yellow bracelet campaign, the foundation has moved to a what I believe is probably the most successful young cancer foundation in the country. They have been able to leverage that fairly inauspicious start to become a very potent political force.
force, both with the National Cancer Institute, with Washington, and with foundations and corporations around the country. And they, they've used their pulpit very effectively to campaign and advocate for cancer patients and cancer survivors around the country and around the world. So it's really been an astonishing run and a, an astonishing trajectory. And how personally involved is Lance Armstrong with his foundation? Well, he's chairman of the board, and he probably more than half of his time is and travel is spent directly on foundation business. So he is incredibly involved. And as he said, this is his job now. He has taken on the, the political mantle and is in Washington very frequently, where he's been very involved in the political agendas in terms of approaching all the presidential candidates about their cancer policies and suggesting agendas to them or having a very big survivorship meeting in Ohio in July where we're ex expecting and hoping to have the each candidate address that group. So he has been tireless. Does the Lance Armstrong Foundation work with other major cancer uh, organizations? Absolutely. They have worked well with the National Cancer Institute, the Young Adult Alliance, the Center for Disease Control. They have joint projects with the American Cancer Society and, and other cancer foundations. Did the foundation begin just for testicular cancer, or was it always a, a broader? When it first started with kind of limited funds and, and maybe limited possibilities, the focus was on testicular cancer. But as trajectory and support grew, they rapidly evolved to survivor issues and then rapidly moved on to making the political inroads that we need to make cancer and cancer care a national priority. Whose idea was it to uh, begin the Lance Armstrong Foundation? Well, I think it was Lance's. I mean, I, I challenged him to give back, and this is the mechanism whereby he did that. And so I, I give him all the credit with kind of the initial organization of the foundation, getting the initial support, getting the initial events going and such. So it was he and his team that brought this together. What can our fellow medical professionals count on with respect to the Lance Armstrong Foundation, and how could we find out more information about it? The medical community as a whole can count on the Lance Armstrong Foundation to be a strong and potent political voice to assure that cancer is a national priority, a disease that affects 1.4 million Americans and uh, kills a 9-11-sized number of Americans every other day, we believe should have national priority and national status. And we're working on that as, as our primary passion for the Lance Armstrong Foundation. LAF.org will get you to the LAF Lance Armstrong Foundation homepage, and there are abundant physician and patient materials there. Very good descriptions of the programs, the mission. So it's fairly easy to find out about the Lance Armstrong Foundation. What impressed you most, Dr. Nichols, about Lance Armstrong personally in terms of this whole scenario and process that he went through? The thing when I first met him, and not surprisingly, he was young and successful, and he was cocky and sure of himself, as you might imagine. But my initial meeting with him impressed me that this young man had a rock-hard will, and he was 
not willing to be broken. And, you know, he actually suggested that we give him more chemotherapy than the average human because he told me he didn't think I could kill him. I assured him I could and that what I was going to give him was going to be enough. But he was willing to do whatever it took. And, you know, he asked a lot of questions. But when I said do something, he would do it and not complain a bit. And there was, I don't think not curing him was an option. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Craig Nichols. We've been discussing the Lance Armstrong Foundation and its support for people affected by cancer. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to a special segment, Focus on Men's Health, on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com, now featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM-157. And thank you for listening.